coming to you from the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's eastern shore. This is Sharing the Mic with David Phillips. In each episode, we try to give you a different perspective of life on the eastern shore, whether it's about an occupation or simply stories of what people who have lived here have done in their careers. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Sharing the Mic is a monthly podcast with each new episode appearing the first of each month. My guests are Richard Spano and Jim Bullitt, musical colleagues based in Hampton Roads, folks who've attended performances at the historic Palace Theater in Cape Charles, will perhaps recognize Richard as a sound and lighting designer on a number of productions there, and for his musical performances at the now extinct Pearl Market a couple of summers ago. On the shore, he most recently served as sound technician for the Arts on the Farm event at the Barrier Islands Center. Jim Bullitt and Richard Spano, welcome to Sharing the Mic. You've recently debuted a new CD album called In the Shadow of Cupid's Arrow. And we'll be performing excerpts from it at the Sandler Center in Virginia Beach on February 23 as part of Paul Chagru's Out of the Box on WHRV. Richard, would you tell us a bit about your background and how you got interested in music? I grew up in New York City and on Long Island and uh, began to, I, got, I became interested in singing around a campfire when I was a Boy Scout. And it happened to coincide at the time with the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And once I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, like a few of my compatriots, it was all over. <laughs> Were you in a local youth band? or? I, well, there, there wasn't, the local, there was no local youth band concept back then like there is now, like the School of Rock and things like that. But we were in a band. I was in a band in seminary. I went to, to Catholic seminary called the Quasars where we had a bass player, me, because nobody else wanted to play bass. We had a very good guitar player who plays professionally now. He's a session musician in L.A. named George, a drummer, and an accordion player. Wow. <laughs> Which was a big deal in the 90, early 60s. And we we did, our first song we ever learned was, uh, um, Who's out walking in these woods, his big bed, riding hood, and hang on Sloopy, those were our two big... T and then <laughs> this was in 1963. 64, and in the Beatles in February of 64 would changed everything. Yeah. So hey, Jim, how about you? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in outside of Washington, D.C., in a suburb called Bethesda, Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, and what got you started in music? Um, like Richard, I was um, floored by the Beatles. I was, I think I must have been five years old, sitting in my in my living room at home in front of the TV on a Sunday night and saw these four kids from Liverpool come out and it was all over after that. I, I used to play Army and now I was playing Beatle. I walked around with a, with a tennis racket for a guitar and talked in a British accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I believe you went to Duke University yes. and studied economics and literature. Yes. I gotta ask, <laughs> given your early interest in music, why not major in that? Um, I had very sensible parents who instilled in me that um, being a musician was not a not a suitable career. So I was I was heading towards law uh, until I discovered I didn't like being a lawyer, um, and I decided to become a, a school teacher um, instead. So and, and I'm very very happy to have made that decision. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think I had the the raw talent um, for 
for to be a musician for a living. Mm -hmm. um, and and I wasn't interested in in being a music teacher or anything like that. So I see. Um, if I couldn't if I couldn't have it all, I might as well not do it. <laughs> so how did both of you end up in Tidewater? Richard, you go first. Uh, I moved out of New York in the early '70s after I graduated from school, and uh, we drew a, my girlfriend and I at the time drew a circle on a map, a 400-mile circle. We had to get. We wanted to get out of New York and Long Island, and it turns out that we were pressing about that over the years because both places, is, especially I was, I wanted to continue to be a musician, and she was a model, so it didn't matter where she worked. And we drew a, map, a circle around a map and a 400-mile radius so we could be home for our families within a day. And in that radius was Boston. Being a Yankee fan, that wasn't going to work. Pittsburgh doesn't give me a whole lot of, of climate interest, and Virginia Beach. And the word beach is what attracted us. We hopped on April Fool's Day, 1974. We hopped in a car, drove down through here to the, to the eastern shore, and, and that, that image of that drive on that day <laughs> stuck with me even to today, because it's beautiful, it's a different world here. And uh, as you know, and then uh, we arrived on April Fool's morning, drove to the oceanfront. She said, oh, let's take a look at the beach. We'd made a turn on 58th Street, and as we were turning on 58th Street, a woman was coming out with a Ferenc sign. And that was the beginning of my life in Virginia, which I've, when people say, oh, are you going home? I always say, yeah, and home is always here. So she came out with the for rent sign and you wrote the check? Wrote the that? check for six months, right? Yeah, yeah we'll stay here. Amazing. And uh, she went on to become a waitress in the Zodiac, which was the bar, which was the music club at the time down there, and bands like Snuff. Jimmy Buffett came through a couple of times when he was touring by himself with just a guitar, learning mm -hmm. his craft. And uh, it just, you know, since then, that's all pretty much I've done. Production, I've done all kinds of stuff, but it's all been music-related. Right. And Jim? What brought you to time? Um, when I came out of graduate school, um, I was uh, we were in a recession, and so not a lot of places were hiring teachers. Um, and I guess because Virginia Beach was a growing community at that point, they were still hiring teachers. And so I took a job at Kempsville Junior High School, and I stayed there for thirty years um, and retired from. I retired from Kempsville High School because I'd moved up when they changed. They changed to a middle school format, and I switched. And what was the subject? I taught English. And whenever we play together <laughs> locally, someone that Jim taught or somebody whose children Jim taught comes up and says, Hi, Mr. Bullet, you taught. Uh, yep. So he's got, a, he's got a pretty good <laughs> reputation around town as being a great teacher. The obvious question now is how did you guys meet and what prompted you to collaborate on this new album? called In the Shadow of Cupid's Love. Arrow. In the Shadow of Cupid's Arrow. Arrow, I'm sorry. <laughs> In the Shadow of Cupid's Arrow. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that, folks? There's a reason for that title, too. <laughs> we were at um, a fundraiser for WHRV, um, both answering phones, and this was maybe, what, they five years us, ago? They sat us next to each other. Yeah, right? this maybe five years ago, mm -hmm. um, and just sort of chatting, and... Um, we were both friends of Barry Graham, so we were supporting his show. Um, but yeah, we just started started chatting, and and then um, you were doing a songwriter thing at the Cold Press coffee right, shop. Right, I was I was um, I was hosting an open mic that was geared towards some original songwriters, and um, Richard came out, and uh, we started listening to each other's music, and and uh, 
starting to respect each other as musicians. And gradually, um, that relationship grew. You, I mean, you can tell the part about the song that got us started. Yeah, I had a song that I had been <clears throat> working on kind of to do with this in mind. Usually, it helps to have a goal. You know, I'm, I'm doing this for an album or I'm doing this. I, I've never not been able to work without having a goal. I had this song that just wasn't working, and I, on a whim, I just emailed the lyrics to him and said, I'm, I'm stuck with this, what can you do? And within less than 24 hours, which is how it's been for most of our collaboration, as I send him lyrics, and within 24 hours, he comes back with the exact melody that I wanted. And it turned out, and the first song was called Living Inside the Silver Lining. And it kind of, not predicted, but you know, predated COVID by a few months. Wow. And it was about, and, and it's a song, I, I guess, if you play it at the end of the, this, this conversation. But it starts out with, we say goodbye more than we say hello. It ends with, you know, we're going to be together and it's going to work out. And that's what, uh, and then I sent him another one. And then I sent him another one. And suddenly we had 17 or something. That yeah. We, and so. at that point, yeah. I decided that I wanted to finance an album and we, let's, let's get this stuff out there. And we did it mostly remotely. And things started to loosen up as we started to record. Jim, in the meanwhile, was producing an album of his own because he's, he's incredibly prolific based or I have been in the past couple of years. I hadn't been before that. Uh, um, song a day or a song every two song days. A week, song a week. And he produced his album concurrently while we were getting us together and telling the Zach story. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I was looking for someone to to help produce. And I had li I listened to um, the recording of a good friend of mine, Roy Motes Jr., um, who's another singer-songwriter. Um, and it was produced by his son, Zach, who played a lot of the instruments and did, had a lot of really interesting ideas for production. So when I was looking for somebody to help me put together this album, I sent the tracks to him and liked the ideas that he had. But we didn't meet face-to-face -face until, the, until the CD release party, which Richard produced. Um, Richard was there to run sound for us. And, and, and I hadn't set met up any of the members of your band either. Right, right. Um, so all the recording was, I would, I would record a track, you know, because it was during COVID. I would record a vocal track and a guitar track at my home studio, and I would ema email it to Zach, who was living up in Newport News, and he would listen to it, and he would send back, you know, with uh, a drum track or with a piano track. And so most of that album was recorded, you know, entirely remotely. It's amazing what COVID did oh, yeah. in terms of bringing people together who right. would probably right. have never met each other. And, and on a personal level, it gave me things to write about and it gave me time and space to do the writing. I had, like I said, I'd never been that prolific. I, I'd written, you know, a song every couple of years <laughs> up until that point. And I wrote, I think I've written almost 100 songs in the past two years. So how did you arrive at the concept for the album uh, or... Did it just sort of grow organically from the songs that you worked on together and then you thought, well, this can be, become an album? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, right exactly in the middle of what you just said is what it was. It started to be, I had a theme in mind. What the song that became in the shadow of Cupid's Arrows was one of the first after we realized we were going to do something together. And uh, it was in the shadow of Cupid's arrow, which is Cupid is love, and, and, and the symbol of that and the arrow is you get struck by Cupid's arrow, you fall in love. But in the, the periphery of that, in the shadow of that, there's a lot of stuff going on, 
a lot of various expressions of love. So then once that, so I started to kind of write in that direction. Stuff comes, when I do something, he, he, he writes as a, as a teacher in a lot of ways. It's very, the lyrics come out very carefully crafted. Mine come out like that or, or I throw them away. And when he gets them and brings them back, the melodies just seem to be like exactly what was supposed to be for the song. One of the things I enjoyed about working with Richard's um, lyrics, like like he said, I I write like an English teacher. I write I am a pentameter. <laughs> I write I write nice neat nice neat verses, um, or I did before I met Richard. But he sends me these. They they look like they look like abstracts. They just uh, uh, two or three words on a line all the way down. You know, maybe two pages long, uh, and I have to I have to look at them and find the rhythm, and I have to find. The melody and it's it's totally different, um, and so it pushed me in into writing different kind of songs. I would write some things more, more jazz sounding um, melodies and some that were more country and some that were more um, bluesy based. And so, but based on the way the words played out in the page, and so that was really that was really interesting for me uh, and and inspiring. So. I imagine it would be, and I've listened <laughs> to the album several times, and what I'm just kind of blown away by is that. On some of the tracks, the orchestrations are so lush and so rich. I mean, that's, you think that's you're Richard. in the Hollywood Bowl or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Richard's vision. I mean, I wrote everything just to solo acoustic guitar and voice, but he fleshed them out with his ideas. When we when we <laughs> when we finally had a collection of what we thought were going to be the, the the songs for the record, we got together at Jim's house, and I said, "Sit down and let's play all of them." He played all of them, like back, 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 acoustically. And I distributed that CD to, to friends and circle. I said, listen to this, what do you think? And, and in a lot of cases, they came back and said, well, I love the songs, but they all sound the same. And I said, well, that's the point, is let's find out the best of that and then wait, and we'll get back to you in six months. And then I, and I built a recording studio. I had the, the, the opportunity to, to, to when I, I bought a house in, in South Norfolk, historic South Norfolk, I'm in a tractor barn. And uh, my wife has an Apple studio, Apple office and stuff up in the upstairs, and I had this recording studio. And we started putting stuff together, and that's most of what you hear is was done in that one studio with uh, some pretty, pretty wonderful local musicians. And I think COVID and post-COVID helped in that because a lot of people were not working. They, you know, trying to get like Jason Kale plays on the album and uh, Larry Burwold and and, and uh, uh, Anthony Rosano. These are touring musicians who weren't touring. Mm -hmm. So I call Anthony up and say, would you come play on this song? And he was like, yeah, sure. You, I said, well, can I fit into your schedule? I said, I have no schedule. I'm not working, I'm not touring. So that came, that worked to our benefit. And uh, I had a vision about how I wanted it to sound. And uh, I had the musicians, and I had these songs, these melodies, because the, and, you know they're just words on the page. And Jim has this ability to hear the the rhythm of what I'm writing and write melodies for it. So the melody, you know, it's it's a Bernie Taupin, Elton John kind of relationship, in the sense that uh, I write the lyrics, I give them to Jim, totally trusting that he's going to do his magic with it doesn't change a word usually one or two maybe and then comes back with this melody that i don't change i might move the verse chorus or something like that but otherwise it just comes out and it's hard to pass that up when something like that happens in your life right it's really quite beautiful and it's like it's like love in the sense that when you find something that really is there it happens right. you don't want to pass it up you want to make it grow and that's what we try to do 
So talk a bit about your performance that's going to happen on February 23rd at the Sandler Center. Ah, the out-of-the-box performance, the out-of-the-box radio show that Paul Chigou does, sponsors a show at the beginning of every year for at, at the Sandler for like nine, I, nine think it's, I think it's eight. I think it's eight, eight or nine yeah. performances on Thursday nights. It's, a, it's an incredible honor to be asked, but it's also a really nice canvas because they kind of say, just do what you want to do. So we've been able to get the musicians that are performing on the record to come join us on February 23rd. Jason Kale, who plays on the song In the Shadow of Cupid's Arrows, killer lead guitar part. Uh, Anthony Rosano, who plays on a song called The Horizon Is Moving. They're coming to do duplicate their parts on the record. And we've got a core band of musicians that played on the album. Keyboard player, Jim. Jim is a great guitar player. We've got a bass player that played on most of the album. We're all going to be there. And we just found out a couple of days ago that because the, the Miller Theater, which is the black box theater in there, is being used that night, we're going to play in the lobby of the San Center. Oh. which is a pretty elegant gig. Yeah. So it's going to be yeah. pretty spectacular one way or the other. So, folks, if you're listening to this podcast before the 23rd of February, be sure to get yourselves down to the Sandler Center. And it is, it is a free show. It's a free show, oh. seven, 7 to 9 o'clock. I think, I think people enjoy it. The last time they did a show in the lobby was the last show they did before they shut down for COVID, and it was Anthony Rosano. And he, I talked to him the other day, and he said it was wild how much fun it was. So we're looking forward to it. We just got to bring the goods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're we're, we're working on it now. We're rehearsing already to make sure we got everything down. Terrific. I really want to thank you guys for coming over here today, and uh, we really look forward to hearing you. Appreciate that, David. Thank Thank you you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. And so to close us out, we're going to hear Living Inside the Silver Lining, Richard Spano and Jim Bullitt. Say goodbye, Lord, and we say hello. I need to wait before the day begins to fade. Greet the sun with my own eyes. Hear the songbirds' sweet spring cries. Go to work to keep the promises I've made. I can't remember when we took the time. To really look into each other's eyes Seems we're always on the run That our work is never done Any private moment comes as a surprise Darkness surrounds me when I'm kept away from you I wish that I could see your sweet face shining When we're together all the clouds will blow away Stuff will be the silver
listening to Sharing the Mic with David Phillips, produced by the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore. Sally Dickinson, Executive Director. Kristen Dennis, Office and Marketing Manager. Megan Ames, Director of Planning and Development. Tracy Jones, Director of Education. The Barrier Island Center is located at 7295 Young Street in Machipongo, Virginia, 23405. The website is www.barrierislandscenter.org. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please direct them to bicpodcast at icloud.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and be well.